Canada recently announced that it will be sending some 200 Canadian Armed Forces personnel and up to six helicopters to join UN peacekeeping operations in Mali for a 12-month mission. This large landlocked country in West Africa has long been in the grips of political instability, facing armed threats from within and without, with deep internal divisions and inequalities, and an extensive history of Western interference and exploitation. Amet Lowe of the Group for Research and Initiative for the Liberation of Africa joins us on the phone from Toronto to talk about the mission and why Canada is ramping up its involvement in the region. Amet, welcome back to Amandla. Thanks, Grant, for having me. Well, thanks for being available. So listen, before we look at Canada's motives for sending this mission, could you briefly draw us a portrait of Mali's political and economic situation? There are a lot of players involved in this story. Yes, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Mali is a, is, is, a, is a big country who have played historically a very great role because it was the center of one of the greatest civilization in West Africa. Uh, however, recently after independence, soon after independence, the first president that came into power, Modibo Keita, who used to be a very progressive leader, was removed after a few years in, in power by a military coup. Since then, the country has gone through almost uh, 20 years of military dictatorship. And uh, after the restoration of the democratic process uh, in the late 90s, uh, it has plunged back again into uh, lots of instability recently in the last couple of years, uh, I would say, last decade or so. With uh, lots of players, uh, uh, local, regional, international, but it seems to be all pointing to one factor that is at the root of this instability, which is uh, uh, one of the elements is that uh, Mali is bordering Niger, who is a country also with a similar kind of geographic situation, but who is which is very rich in terms of uranium, and uranium in that country is controlled by a French company, which is a state corporation called Areva, and it produces almost more than one third of the electricity that is being generated in France. So you can see that it's a very vital resource in. In, 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 in for, for the French, and because of that, and the second factor is that uh, French has been considering this region also as uh, their uh, own region, and then uh, controlling most of the leaders uh, who've been in power, and then uh, playing, and then uh, being involved, even in removing whoever is challenging their uh, hands on uh, uh, on the control of the region. So Mali is no exception to that, and uh, a lot of people suspect that. Uh, uh, Mali is as rich, or if not more richer than Niger in terms of uranium, but also in terms of lots of other natural resources, as like gold. And uh, that is uh, an element, like in lots of other African countries, where the natural resources are fueling lots of political instabilities and uh, lots of uh, competition between uh, actors that are uh, implicated in those processes. And as I mentioned, those uh, actors are, can be both local elites uh, trying to uh, gain local control of the political power in the country in conjunction with the uh, international forces and multinational corporations also who are interested in having a hold on uh, those natural resources. It is uh, within that context that we can see why Canada recently have decided to uh, 
uh, be involved in that situation in, in Mali under the pretext of uh, uh, being involved in uh, peacekeeping operations and yeah. send new troops uh, in the country. Okay, well, let's let's take a closer look at that because if you look at uh, the 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 sort of standard Canadian media coverage of this sending of the of the mission to Mali. I mean, it largely focuses on the relative safe, safety or risk of sending Canadians on a military mission to Mali. Uh, but there's been really very little discussion of why. There is a tacit assumption that Canada is simply fulfilling its UN commitments, but. Uh, you know, there are plenty of other places where Canada could be doing that. So, uh, but you, you've already started to suggest the elements of the answer of why you think Canada is there. So, what are Canada's material and geopolitical interests in Mali specifically? Yes, uh, I mean, uh, Canada, the recent deployment of, of Canadian forces as a uh, quote unquote peacekeeping forces is a continuation of. Uh, of another project that started uh, in 2011 when the Conservatives were in power. And uh, at the time, after a couple of months of reflection, of thinking, uh, the, the Canada has decided to try to open some military bases in Africa and uh, what they call sand operation op- uh, in different countries. At the time, they were targeting Senegal, which is close to which is neighboring Mali. And uh, so today... Well, the decision of the government of Canada is just a continuation of that project of uh, which consists in having a food inside the country. As you can see, in 2011, uh, the situation wasn't as bad in Mali, but at the time they were even at that point thinking already to establish some military centers, uh, Canadian military centers in some of the countries, as uh, like Senegal, as I mentioned. Now, Mali is, is, as I say, is very rich in terms of natural resources. You have uh, a lot of uh, uranium in the, in the northern part of the country, gold across the country, uh, extra. And then everybody knows that Canadian multinational corporations are very active in, in, in Africa in general and in West Africa in, in particular in terms of mining. And mining is a very important sector right now in the financial sector in Canada. And that's why the biggest mining corporations are one of the top in, the, uh, in terms of the Toronto Stock Exchange. And because of that, uh, and then the, 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 the Canada is trying to reinforce its role uh, economically, and then that's why they're trying to, uh, to, to get uh, involved in those countries in order to, uh, to be one of the major players and then... Uh, uh, create a condition where the multinational corporation from Canada can also have their share into what we call the, the resource gap. But is, there, but, is, but is Canada experiencing a problem in terms of access to those resources? Is this about stabilizing the situation so that uh, Canadian capital has easier access to Malian resources? It is, they are trying to secure that position. They have already some access, limited, but there are a lot of actors who are also trying to have the same access. So whoever is not uh, really present very strongly might lose uh, against all other players because you have the French, you have uh, recently more new actors like uh, like Russia or China, and you have the United States also who's been uh, uh, very active in the region. So it's an ongoing competition mm-hmm. between uh, major players, and then that's why it's becoming very critical for each one of those countries to have a military presence to, in a way to secure their political presence and economic 
present in those regions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what you're pointing to in general is a well, is I guess a generalized militarization of the situation. Could we open up the discussion beyond Canada and look at what's going on, whether it's France's involvement, AFRICOM through the United States? I know there's a drone base now, or they're preparing a drone base. Could you just talk about sort of provide a little bit of a portrait of the overall militarization of the region? Yeah, I mean, the militarization is uh, kind of advancing at a very high speed right now, not only in the region, but across the continent. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have players who historically did never had some type of military presence or very little that, uh, that are very aggressive right now and are trying to have that presence. Uh, I can uh, give the example of countries like Germany or Turkey or China who have all naval bases in, uh, in Djibouti. Djibouti has been also one of the major centers because of its geostrategic location that is attracting all these military bases. You have uh, close to 10 foreign military bases right now uh, establishing uh, foot on, in Djibouti. And uh, in the West African region that was used to be the, the, the uh, protectorate for, for France is being challenged again uh, this time because uh, the U.S. have their, as you mentioned, their drone uh, basis in Niger, you have uh, uh, China, who has been very aggressive in terms of economic uh, 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 inroads within the region. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of all of that, uh, you have uh, the militarization process is a way to make sure that they they can be seen as main actors that the, that the countries cannot do without. So it's like uh, some type of what we are, what some people call. The, the 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 firefighter who's at the same time the uh, the pyroman I don't know how you yeah, they, yeah yeah the, the yeah. pyromaniac yeah yeah so they 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 are there and they instant and they kind of manipulate some of the 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 groups that are uh, involved in this uh, security situation and at the same time they will say try to convey the image that they are needed to help uh, supposedly help those African countries to create security, mm-hmm. even though they are the same one who instigate instability in order to facilitate their presence and justify why they are there at the first place. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I say, it's a, a general movement. And uh, the, what is driving all those uh, attempts is, uh, again, uh, the natural resources that uh, is so critical for the West uh, to have access in the, at a very cheap rate, or if not free, in order to be able to sustain the relative comfort that their population have been enjoying since the, uh, the end of the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, you have uh, regular Malians who are having to contend with all of this. And uh, to add to it is climate change. Mali is in the midst of an absolutely horrendous drought. There's accelerated desertification. there's, you know, increasing internal conflict over resources, namely land and water, uh, herding populations and farming populations ending up being pitted against each other in this context of drought and uh, all of these arid conditions. So, you know, it's, it's just it's so much to contend with. So when you look at it from the outside and you see these internal factors and external factors from a progressive pan-Africanist uh, perspective, how... How does this situation get resolved to the benefit of regular Malians? 
Yeah, because uh, as you mentioned, uh, you have all these factors like the envir- environmental degradation, the, the, the question of, of, of land grabs. You have more land being acquired by a multinational corporation, depriving local population who used to be living centuries after centuries upon the land, uh, resources they, they will extract from the land by cultivation or by raising cattle. And so what... When the, the resources get uh, sh- smaller and shrink, that's where the competition increase, and then the population get more vulnerable in terms of manipulation. And that's when you have local political elites who are fighting to stay in power uh, are colliding with uh, in these external factors, in these external forces, in order to, 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 to maintain the situation as it is. So what do we do? Where do we go from there in terms of alternative? Uh, my, my conviction is that uh, these countries taken in isolation one by one are too weak uh, to, to sustain or to resist this kind of push from these uh, international forces, uh, imperialist forces, I, wish, I should say, in trying to control and then have access to international resources. So for me, the only viable alternative would be the creation of some type of bigger space political entities that could uh, reorient the, 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 the priority within the region. And that will, should be something that goes beyond one country, but mm-hmm. at least at the regional level, uh, to have some progressive elements emerging in some of the countries to be able to push forward the roads to, for the creation of a political federation in the West Africa that will have a common vision in terms of how to handle the, the security question, how to pull together the small financial resources they have in order to create the condition for a collective security to tackle the question of desertification to because there are a lot of imbalances and a lot of discrepancies even within one country that those frustrations are fertile land for for manipulation yeah and and then as long as especially if this country now cannot do it by themselves I think it's important that we look at pulling the resources together and only a pan-Africanist vision of a political federation should be able to push forward in that direction. Are we seeing any signs of that kind of mobilization? It's kind of it's happening, but not as, as fast as we would like to see, because yeah. you can see that the, the, the African youth is, is being very active uh, in the continent. You have protest movement happening everywhere. And then what was uh, happening 30 years ago is hardly possible today because the population is more active. Nowadays, there's a missing element, which is a, a kind of very organized uh, political force that can... Uh, uh, consolidate all those frustrations, all those young, the energy of those young population to channel it into an alternative solution that can uh, move into a different direction. That's what the, the link that's missing, but I think that on the ground, the population the, the, in general are favorable for, uh, for, for a radical transformation, but there's still missing that link of uh, of, 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 uh, of, of uh, organized political force that can channel that, uh, those frustration and those energies into something more constructive. Because if we don't have that, what's going to happen is that people are tempted by some type of uh, dreams of uh, leaving the continent or leaving the country, going to the, uh, to the West, to Europe, or joining some regressive uh, 
religious forces who in the end are not really providing any solution, but it's just that it's easier when people are in distress to attract them into this kind of uh, trap. Yes, but, yeah. And, you know, it's just so incredible because despite this dire picture that uh, that uh, we're, we're painting, and it is absolutely dire, not to diminish that for a minute, but despite all of that, you know, there's just all this vibrant culture, Malian music and theater and, you know, art and all the rest of it, that uh, there is a there is a resilience that is still that is there despite all of these incredibly difficult circumstances. Absolutely, and uh, that, that, that's the one of the, the element of hope, which is uh, the culture is still strong enough to have the capacity to generate responses to, to, to this kind of crisis. Because uh, uh, now, as I say, sometimes things are not moving as fast as we would like, but uh, the, the, the culture is so rich and then so vibrant that I believe that from, it's from that culture that we emerge solution. To, 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 to resolve some of these political questions, uh, environment, environmental questions, political questions, economic questions. And uh, that the vibrancy of the culture is intact despite all the hardship, all the uh, time colonization have, uh, have existed, that never managed to break the backbone of the, uh, the connection between the people and their culture, which is the fertile land from which to emerge later on yeah. uh, the embryo of solution to this, all these problems. So I still believe that it's very possible that it's a matter of time and uh, a matter of uh, the type of work we have to put on the ground to try to mobilize, organize the, this population into an alternative that, is, that goes beyond what has been experimented since independence. Yeah, I was. I, I was. I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but in preparing for this interview, I was reading that um, the media landscape in Mali is still relatively healthy. That yes, there's a lot of state-owned, state-controlled information, but that there are a number of independent radio stations. And uh, do you have any sense of uh, of that as a vehicle for for change and communicating alternative visions of how to deal with this situation? Yes, I mean, the, the situation is the same in a lot of other countries where you have the media, at least the big media are still controlled by the state and the, and the government. But again, because of the, the creativity of the people, they managed to for more or less to go around that uh, mm-hmm. kind of monopole using some, uh, the, some tools like uh, the new technologies, uh, Facebook or WhatsApp. It's unbelievable how... WhatsApp application is being used so intensely in terms of communicating between people right now. Yeah. And they, they, they provide a vehicle. It will not create a solution, but at least a tool that can be utilized right. to, to, to bypass that kind of monopoly that the states are trying to, to control and then uh, to provide the channel to push their own alternative ways of thinking and uh, of interacting and cultural expression. Thank you so much, Ametz. It's always a real pleasure to talk to you with your lucid uh, description of all of this. And, you know, we'll continue to follow it. And um, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks. Thanks for having me and have a good day. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.